welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to John chapter 14. John 14, that's where we'll be for most of the day today. And if you know me, I like to hop around a little bit. But we've been in a series entitled, I Am. And we've been talking about the seven statements that Jesus made in the book of John, where it's not just about who Jesus, what Jesus does, it's about who he is. And how whenever we understand that, it reframes and transforms our entire lives. And over the last few weeks, uh, if you haven't been here, you could go on YouTube, you could check out the rest of the messages. But over the last few weeks, we've been honing in on one of these today. Uh, we're going to hone in on one, and then next week we'll finish it with the resurrection and the life. But today, the title of the message is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know if when you were younger, I don't know if you have any stories of where you tried or attempted to run away. You tried to get away from home. I remember one time in my life, uh, I was just upset, and it's funny because it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't even remember what I was upset about at the time, but I was upset. My mom had probably done something, and I was like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to make it out there on my own. It's going to be okay. So I packed up my sleeping bag at the time. I, I had this image. It was, had choo-choo trains on the side of it. I packed it up. I'm sure I put all of my toys in there because I was going to need the toys. Probably put some food in there as well. But the problem was I lived on, it was a two-story apartment, so I lived to where I couldn't get out from the top, so I was going to have to sneak my way downstairs, out the door, and hopefully none of my other four brothers and sisters or mom would actually see me. So I eventually managed my way to get out, and I went around the corner, and I, and I just hid. But the problem is, when you don't have a mode of transportation, and you don't even know where to go, you just go around the corner, you kind of just sit there. So I think I eventually went and played basketball with my friends. And then it got dark and I got hungry, so I just went back home. <laughs> because there's no place like home, even while I was in college. I went to school in Oklahoma, my family lives in Atlanta, and I remember the meals that I had to eat on a continuous basis, the ramen that I consumed, an ungodly amount. It was only 10 cents back then, I hear it's like a dollar now, inflation is killing everything. But ramen, but here's what I longed for during the Christmas breaks or even the summer breaks was to go back home for a good home-cooked meal for my mom. That's what I desired to go home to. In the same way, in the natural, we desire home. In John 14, Jesus is going to say the same thing about spiritually, that we desire a place of rest. We desire a place that we can call our home. C.S. Lewis says this, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Here's what he's saying. He's like, no matter how much success you have on this earth, no matter how much money you have, no matter how many relationships you have that are even healthy, all these things are good. They're not bad things. But getting more of that won't help you feel more fulfilled if this isn't your home, if this isn't your final destination, it's not something that's going to give you life because you were made for something greater and you were made for something else. And in John 14, we're going to read verses 1 through 7, Jesus talks about this. 
He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's talking with his disciples in the upper room. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So let's give some context to this passage. This passage occurs uh, at Jesus' final Passover celebration. They had just had the Last Supper. They had just walked through what we call Palm Sunday, which is today. And there's an expectation that Jesus is going to step into his rightful place. But on the back end, Jesus starts sharing with the disciples some pretty discouraging news. He says to them, after he's washed their feet, one of you is a traitor, which I'm sure everyone started looking around like, who is it? One of you is a traitor. Peter, you're going to deny me. I'm going to go to the cross and die, and then I'm going to leave. That's what he's laying out, and they're gripped with fear. They're gripped with anxiety. They're gripped with doubt, and Jesus in this moment steps in. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, because they thought that Jesus was about to step under his throne, and they were going to reign alongside him. They had the same expectation of the Messiah that would come and remove the power of Rome and and free them from the bondage that they were in at the time. Palm Sunday, we celebrate that. Palms are actually a sign or a symbol of a revolution. And a cult is a symbol of victory and royalty. So they thought, this this is it. This is the moment he's, he's coming to Jerusalem. This is what happened whenever Roman generals came back from a victory. They would parade down to the main, main center where the, uh, everybody was, and there would just be a celebration of all that was happening. They said, it's finally happening. Jesus is about to go in, and he's about to reign. And he's like, yeah, that's not going to happen the way that you think it's going to happen. See, you have a desire, and you have a want for a king, but I'm here not just to give you what you want. I'm actually here to give you what you need. And what you need is to be freed from the power of sin, and you need to be freed from the power of death. But in this moment, he speaks comfort to his disciples when they should have actually been speaking comfort to him because he was in his last hours, about 48 hours before he would go to die. And he says, do not let your heart be troubled. He's like, put your heart at ease. And here's what he's saying to them. Even though there's trouble that's around you, that doesn't mean the trouble has to get in you. That your heart doesn't have to be troubled by things that are on the outside. If trouble touches your life, it doesn't have to touch your heart. What's on the outside doesn't have to affect on the inside because I can give you peace. But here's the remedy. See, many times we can think, okay, there's trouble. Let's try to figure this out. I'm smart. God's giving me intellect. He actually says, trust. Trust is the solution for trouble. Because here's typically what we go to. Whenever we're in trouble, we actually go to the thing that we trust the most. The question is, is God the place that you go whenever you are in trouble? The psalmist in Psalm 27 verse 13 says this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see 
the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's saying, I would have lost hope, heart, I would have lost hope unless I had believed or unless I had trusted in the goodness of God, even in the midst of trouble. It's important for us to catch this because he says to them, I'm actually going to prepare a place for you. He's talking about heaven. He's saying, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. I go to prepare a place, and the word mansions there isn't like this manor that you're going to get with like 15 rooms. That's not what that word means. It means dwelling place or abiding place. Here's what he's trying to say. Heaven is a place where God's presence dwells, and you can abide with him forever and be united to him. That's what he's saying in this moment, because that's what we desire. And I know you have to think about it. Jesus was actually a carpenter while he was here on earth. I want to submit to you, he's actually still a carpenter in heaven. He's still preparing and building a place for us, and he's building his church through us. He's still preparing a place because that's what we do for the people that we love. Whenever we had our first daughter, I have four kids, two girls, two boys, the ages eight, seven, five, and four. So my wife is a hero in our family. But whenever our first daughter was born, we, we had just gotten our first house, and my wife had the idea that she wanted to paint the nursery to get prepared for everything. Now, many of you don't know me that well, but here's one thing you need to know. I'm probably the least handy person you've ever met in your life. Yet I'm thinking, hey, newly married, first kid, I, I want to say that I was a part of this and I want to say I did something. So I was like, don't worry, I'll grab the paint. We'll come in here, we'll paint it, we'll do it yourself. And this was one of the projects that I should not have done by myself. And the paint job was done, but it was horrible. It didn't go well because she was pregnant at the time and we had a lively discussion, but it was okay. She was born. But it even happened whenever we moved to, to Houston three, three years ago, 2019, May of 2019. We came down five separate times before our kids came down here. Once, with the, once to buy the home, once to bring the movers down, and then once to bring them down. And I want to let you know, we did not forget a space for any one of them. And here's why. Because love always goes ahead of us to prepare a welcome, and God is doing the same for every single one of us. He's preparing a place for us. But Thomas asks a unique question that gets to the statement that we're going to focus on today. He says, where are you, go where are you going? And Jesus is like, you know where I'm going. And Thomas, who always gets a bad rap, is doubting Thomas, just so you know all the other disciples doubted as well. But he's always asking these questions like, hey, God, Jesus, I don't know where you're going. Because anytime you speak, you speak in a parable or a riddle, and anytime we ask you a question, you answer with a question, so I have no clue. <laughs> what? Where you are going and how we can actually get there. You're going to a different city, and he's having to put this together for them and speak. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to break every single one of these down. There are three points today. The first one is this. He is the way. He is the way. He didn't say, I will show you the way. He said, I am the way. And this is a big statement. If you're going to go to my father's house, if you're going to get to heaven, I am the way. See, Christianity is exclusive and inclusive. It's both. It's exclusive to every false god, ideology, or religion, but it's inclusive to every single person. Any person can get in. Now, I know in today's world, it's a little bit controversial to be clear about 
the way to heaven and the fact that the truth that there is only one way. Because this is the statement that Jesus makes. This isn't my statement, so don't get mad at me. He makes a statement, I am the way. No one gets to the Father except through me. And many people would think, well, this is unfair. There's only one way. But it's actually brilliant. Because it means no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your background, your ethnicity, no matter how you look, no matter your experience, that everyone can come to the foot of the cross and be saved. Because he is the way. Acts 4.12, Apostle Peter says this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. What's interesting is the early Christians weren't called Christians. They were actually called followers of the way. Whenever Paul went to go after and persecute the Christians in this, at this time, he called, I'm going to get the followers of the way because the way that they lived was different than the way the rest of the world was living at that time. It was drastically different, even to the point that one of the earliest criticisms of Christianity was that they were willing to accept anybody. It wasn't an elitist group. They gave rights. They gave, um, they gave humanity to women. There, was, there were things that were different about the way that they walked and the way that they went. But Jesus is saying to us in this moment, I am actually the way that gets you home. If you're looking for home, which all of us are because God has put eternity in our hearts, he is the way that we get home. And here's many times what we can fail, fail to understand is that sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. I said it a few weeks ago. It's hard to say to a person who's dead, try harder. Jesus has to first make us alive in him and then we can walk out the good works that he's prepared beforehand for us. But he comes to make us alive and he provides the way. This is why everyone's testimony is on the same ground. I know many times I, I grew up hearing testimonies, it's not bad, it's like I was a drug addict, I was addicted to this, I was addicted to that, I was promiscuous, and you can go down the line and we kind of glorify my story instead of glorifying his story. But if we're all dead in our sin and our trespasses, the only one who should get the glory is him because of what he has done on the cross so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. Yes, we should share our story, but the beautiful part of it isn't our part, it's what he has done for us and the truth that we said yes. My mother-in-law came into town, she comes in frequently, but she came into town the other, the other day and she uses Google Maps. And I use Waze personally, uh, but I'm not a Waze snob, don't worry. Uh, but if you use Apple Maps or Android, I can't help you, it's just we're on different wavelengths here. But she uses Google, and the reason why I don't love Google because it's like gives you the option, hey, do you want to take the route that goes 20 minutes slower to your destination? And I'm like, that makes absolutely no sense. I wouldn't do that. But it actually told her to go into Houston. She's coming from Dallas, coming to the Houston area. And we live on the west side, and Katie was telling her, go to Houston, go to 10, and go, go west. But it was telling her that at 2 o'clock. Yeah, exactly. So you know what's about to happen. When she gets to Houston, she's going to experience some of the worst traffic she's ever faced in her life. I'm sorry. It's true. So I was like, hey, don't go that way. Come this way. Go, go around and you'll be able to make it in a quicker time. And then we, she got here. She was like, okay, uh, let's go home. I was like, yeah, you can do Google Maps again if you want to, but it's going to send you this way. And at this time of day, it's actually much quicker to go this way. She's like, you know what? I'll just follow you. I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. But why do you think she said, I'll just follow you? 
because I know the way to my house. Jesus is the only access point to the Father because he knows the way back home. He came from the Father and is going back to the Father. And it's the same for us. He is the way. The second point is this. He is the truth. He is the truth. He didn't promise to teach us truth. He said, I am the truth. I am the truth which you must believe in the truth that will ultimately get you home. Jesus is the truest revelation of God that we have on this earth. If you want to know how God thinks, if you want to know how God acts, look at Jesus. Jesus is God's self-disclosure. Colossians 1 tells us he's the image of the invisible God. Jesus on this earth tells us who God is, and he's telling us that he is the truth. Psalm 119 verse 160 says this, the very essence of your words is truth. All your regulations will stand forever. So we should all base our lives on truth because Jesus is the truth. He is the standard for righteousness. He is the standard for a right way of living on this earth. And when Jesus was on this earth, he did three things when it came to the truth. He declared the truth, he defined the truth, and he demonstrated the truth. He declared the truth, he spoke the truth in love, and if you listen to him, you actually read the scriptures, he said some pretty intense things and sometimes some pretty intense names to the religious leaders of the day. But he was always speaking truth about the way to God. He defined truth and the works that he did, and then he also demonstrated truth and the power and the healings and the miracles that he did. John 14, 11 through 12 says this, just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with my Father. Okay, here's what he's saying here. In the same way that I've declared the truth, I've defined the truth, and I've demonstrated the truth, you're supposed to go and do likewise. So the question for all of us is, are the works that we're doing an indication of how we're believing? Because the more we believe, then our actions will follow. Because it's important for us to really catch this. Because if we really love people, we'll tell them the truth. In love. Some people leave out the in love part. (laughs) See, I think there's this dichotomy that we wrestle with. It's grace versus truth. John 1 tells us that Jesus is the embodiment of both. So it's not grace or truth, it's grace and truth all the time. See, if we have this low view of grace and this low view of truth, we'll actually be indifferent. What is will be, I really don't care how you live your life, it's fine. But if we have a high view of grace and actually a low view of truth, we become enablers. This is the kid that you see is allowed to do anything at any time and they're just out there doing their thing. That person typically, unless there's a change in their life, doesn't amount to much in their life because they've never had any constraints or boundaries put on them to show them the way to go. But if we're low grace and high truth, this is when we fall into condemnation. This is legalism. That person typically ends up very upset and ends up rebelling in the end anyway, but here's who Jesus is, he's high grace, high truth all the time and that's defined by love. That's what love is when we're high grace, high truth. And we walk that out every single day of our lives. How many of you have heard the 
The saying, some people may not even know a scripture, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. How many of you have heard it before? Okay, I'm talking to you. Online, I know you've heard it as well. That's only part of the verse. It actually says, John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. See, truth will set you free, but you have to know it first. You have to experience it. You have to come into contact with it. It's the application of truth comes from knowing the truth. But here's what I've realized about the truth in my own life, and I'm sure you've realized it in yours too, is that truth disturbs us before it delivers us. Truth kind of ruffles some feathers, it agitates us. I don't know if you have friends, and we all need good friends in our lives that whenever they tell us stuff, it seems kind of rude, but we know they're right. Like, hey, you, you seem to be shopping a lot when you're angry. Maybe we shouldn't do that. We all have those friends that can speak into our lives and tell us the truth in a moment's notice. We all need that. And the truth sometimes disturbs us. And Jesus said many things. He said, love your enemies. I don't want to love my enemies. Of course you don't. No one does. But if you're going to be my follower, here's the truth. You need to love your enemies. He says that lust is the same as adultery. I mean, he goes through some pretty hard things. He calls people whitewashed tombs. You're empty. You're null and void. There's nothing that's there. You're leading your blind guides. Jesus shoots with the truth, but he loves him because there's always a way back home. There's always a way for restoration. And just because we have truth in our lives, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know if anyone has seen the movie, A Few Good Men. Don't recommend the movie. This is not my endorsement of it. But there's an intense scene that most of us have probably heard of, even if you've never seen it. It's Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. They're going back and forth. Jack Nicholson's like, hey, what do you want? And he's like, I want answers. The high emotional moment, I want the truth. What does he say? You can yell it back at, at me. Okay, y'all have watched the movie. I'm going to jot that down. You can't handle the truth. And many of us have lived that way when it comes to Jesus. We've rejected him because we haven't been able to handle the truth. But the truth is ultimately what sets us free from the bondage and the cycles that we are stuck in on a consistent basis. And we need this truth in our lives on a consistent basis because anything that's built on a lie will eventually break down. See, truth isn't relative. Truth is absolute. See, truth isn't trendy. And that's not what truth is about. Truth is actually very patient because it knows it will stand the test of time. It's timeless. And we have to understand that in our lives. The only thing relativists are certain of is that there are absolutely no absolutes. Like, we, we can't live with relativity. But here's the thing, confusion reigns in the absence of truth. If I were your enemy, the one thing that I would hope that you would never get is the truth. Because I can ultimately keep you in bondage. Because if I can get you to believe a lie long enough, the truth will actually sound like a lie. I don't know if this is happening in your own life. You don't have to nudge anybody right now. Well, you tell them the truth, but they believe something about themselves for so long that they're not able to be set free. God says you're loved, but you believe you're unlovable. God says you're accepted, but you've experienced a lot of rejection in your lifetime, and there's no way you can feel that. See, if you believe this lie long enough, the truth actually seems like a lie. 
then this is the enemy's schemes. As a matter of fact, John 8, 44, just after Jesus says the truth will set you free, he says, for you are children of your father, the devil. How would you like for Jesus to talk to you like this? By the way, that's true. <laughs> He's talking to really religious leaders, and he says, you love to do the evil things he does. Listen to this. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the devil actually abides in lies. God abides in the truth. So if you're living a lie, you're actually aligning yourself up with the devil because that's not where God lives. It's actually against his nature. He's calling us to align our lives with him and align our lives in the truth. In Proverbs 6, there's a scripture that says, there are six things the Lord hates, yet seven are abomination to him. But here's the one thing, and he actually says three things about it, but he talks about our tongue. He talks about lying. Proverbs 6, verse 19, it says, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who sows discord in a family. I'm going to add in a family, at a job, amongst friends, gossip. Here's actually what gossip is. Gossip distorts the truth to leave a permanent falsified image of a person. That's what it is. You're not telling the whole truth. You're telling your perspective of the truth. And here's what God is saying in Proverbs. He's saying, I hate it. And here's why, because it's not the truth. And I love the truth because he is the truth. So he's the way, the truth, and here's the third and final point. He is the life. He is the life. See, Jesus didn't just come to offer us the secrets to life. He didn't come as a philosopher. He came as a savior because he needed to save us. He is the life. Without him, there's not life, there's just existence. I was listening to a guy, he was talking about how life is risky. Just going through life, life is very risky. And he said something that kind of stuck with me. I was like, here's how risky life is. There's a 100% guarantee that you won't make it out alive. I was like, you know, that's a good point. But here's the sad part, is that most people, they live a long time on the earth, but it's just simply existing and not experiencing the life that God wants for them. It's even sadder when it's believers and God has promised them life and life more abundant. He wants the, us to experience the life that he has. He wants us to experience his righteousness. And here's what we need to catch, that if we don't go to Jesus for righteousness, we'll try to manufacture our own. We'll try to come up with our own what it means to be good enough. The works that we do will perpetually be in this cycle as am I good enough? We call this moralistic deism is the word for it. If I do enough, then I'll be accepted. If I do enough, then I'll be loved. That's what legalism tells us on a consistent basis and that's what it speaks to us, but that's not what God has for us. Because whenever we're caught up in that, we only put forth and project an image of beauty when behind the scenes there's brokenness. Behind the scenes there's things we're coping with. This is what Instagram is. You show most of the beautiful things about your life, not the things behind the scenes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's important for us to not be hypocrites and frauds. That's what it makes us feel like. But here's what Jesus says, in, actually the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3. 
Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. So he's saying heaven is a real place where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven in order, basically what he's saying, elevate your thinking. Just not here, there's, there's a home, there's a place for you. Elevate your thinking, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. See, your real life, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to him, is hidden in Christ. And when he comes back, you will share in everything that he has. There's promises for today, but there's also promises for the future. Many of us have heard the story of the prodigal son before. In Luke 15, he, he's a person who kind of lost his way. He forgot the truth and he lost the life that he had. He wanted his inheritance and he, he took the money and went and spent it in a foolish way. And he gets to the point where he's basically feeding pigs and desiring the food that they have. He hits rock bottom, things get broken in his life and there's a part in the passage that says he finally comes to his senses. He finally comes to the truth. He knows the way back home, but he's saying, I won't be accepted the same way that I left. I left the son, but I think I could go back a servant. Even my father's servants have plenty of food and I'm sitting here with pigs. So he makes a trek back home, he's prepared his speech for his father and it says his father sees him a long way off and the father runs to him. This means his father was probably waiting for him saying, is this gonna be the day where my son comes back home? And even covered in the dust and the, potentially the mud, the father runs up to him, hugs him, kisses him, tells the servants, put my ring on him, put a robe on him, put sandals on him, and we're gonna throw a big party. Because my son, which was dead, is now alive. He was lost and he's found. Here's what didn't happen. The father was not trying to pay him back. The father wasn't trying to punish him. The father was communicating to him and is communicating to all of us that there's always a way back because I am the way, I am the truth, and I have come to give you life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. At the end of every service, we ask this question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me through this message? We're all at different places in life. We all, some of us may be in that place where we're facing trouble. We're wrestling with it, we're fighting it, and we need to be at the place where we trust God more. Some of us may be in the place where we need, we need the truth about who God has called us to be. While some of us have yet to experience the life that God wants us to live, and you may even be watching online and you may be at that place today. And I wanna tell you today that you can receive everything that God has for you. He wants to give it to you. In a moment here, we're about to go into another song. And there's a prayer team that will be here in the front. And we want to have the opportunity to pray for you through anything that you may be going through. You don't have to be a member of Gateway Church to receive prayer. 
I received prayer even before I came out here, but we want to pray for you and with you and join our faith with you. But I also want to talk to some people today who may say, I've lost my way or I never knew the way. I never knew Jesus was the truth and I want to experience the life that he has for me. And you want to give your life to him today and I just want you to do something simple. In saying yes to Jesus, would you just raise your hand in this room or even online and say, yes, I want to experience a life with Jesus. I want to give my life to him. Would you just raise your hand right now in this room if that's you? I see your hand. You can raise it up high so I can see it. Praise God. He, he wants to touch your heart. You can put your hand down. I want everyone in this room to pray this prayer with me, but especially those who raise your hand. I believe that God wants to move in your hearts. The prayer isn't what saves you. It's a heart that says, yes, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. So let's everyone pray right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus on the cross to die for my sin. I accept him right now as my Lord and my Savior. I declare today that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that is true in my life. Thank you for saving me. From this day forward, I will live for you. joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.